across the country and around the world. Different programs, different points of view. This is TalkZone.com. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. School violence continues to be a problem that not only threatens our educational system, but also puts our kids at risk. We'll hear from one man with ideas to solve the problem. Youth violence is as much of a threat to the future of this country as terrorism from abroad. We are the first generation where grandparents are afraid of their grandchildren. Then, these days, millions are choosing to work from home. But how can you avoid scams and make the right choices when starting out? The scam ratio essentially is the number of bad job offers compared to the number of legitimate ones in the work-at-home arena. And the scam ratio now is at about 59 to 1. Those two stories, and a lot more, are heading your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. The program gets underway right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. What can be done to stop the school violence that puts our children at risk? InfoTrack's Taryn McCall caught up with a top community activist who shares some answers. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. Our guest today is Bob Woodson. He's the founder and president of the National Center for Neighborhood Enterprise, which he founded in 1981. He's a leader in the movement to help lower-income Americans and to empower neighborhood-based organizations. Let's start with your story. You came out of a challenging set of circumstances in Philadelphia as a young person. Yeah, I was one of five children living in South Philadelphia, a very close-knit but troubled community. My dad died when I was nine years old, leaving my mother to raise five children by herself. She had to work hard. But before my dad died, he moved us to West Philadelphia, an area that was opening up for the blacks. And it was less troubled. But I uh, dropped out of high school at age 17 and joined the military and completed my education in the military. And what I found in growing up on the streets of Philadelphia, which explains why I can identify with troubled young people today, that when you're growing up in a violent neighborhood, the relationship that you form with your peers can be far more important to you than the relationships to your family because it is your peer relationships that causes you to get to school safely and to be able to survive outside of that home. And most of your time is spent outside of the home. So I've learned some very valuable lessons from that early experience of mine that I'm using today in my work to help control and prevent youth violence throughout the country. How serious is youth violence in today's inner city schools? It is reaching epidemic proportion where, according to surveys, 60% of some children are fearful of going to school. To me, youth violence is as much of a threat to the future of this country as terrorism from abroad. And we must address it. We are the first generation where grandparents are afraid of their grandchildren. Are these problems limited to inner cities or are they more pervasive? They're much more pervasive. And the only time we think of problems like this outside of the context of the inner city when we hear of a Jonesboro or Columbine. But each year, about 30 kids who shoot up their own schools tend to be white and suburban. 
This problem isn't only about the physical safety of kids, but also about difficulties of trying to teach children or learn in an environment that's hostile. How much does it damage the ability of students to learn and hopefully graduate? Well, first of all, you have a program like Teach America where young, bright college graduates are encouraged to come into inner city schools. Sixty percent of these young educators end up leaving because of the violence and the threat of violence. Because of this situation, these schools do not attract the most talented teachers. And so as a consequence, the kids who are forced to go to these public schools are the losers. In the city of Milwaukee at one point, it was estimated that of 500 black males who started kindergarten, only one finishes high school. And so by addressing the problems of violence and civil disorder in the schools, you create an environment where kids are able to learn and teachers can teach. And so if you can just address civil order, then it will attract the more talented, dedicated teachers. A lot of teachers are dedicated who are skilled and talented, but they shouldn't have to risk their lives in order to fulfill their desire to teach in these environments. If you can create a violence-free zone in these schools, violence is down 25% in three months. And as a consequence, there's a dramatic decline in truancy rates and absenteeism. Academic performance improves. When you create civil order in the most troubled violent school, it results in a dramatic transformation of that school so that it becomes a citadel of learning the way it's supposed to. What are some of the steps you take to create these violent-free zones? We recruit young adults from the community that we consider using a health analogy as antibodies. We know that the most effective way to treat the human body is to strengthen its own immune system. And so what we do is we go into these communities and we look for two types of local leaders. We look to those who have come from households where the children are not dropping out of school or in jail or on drugs, which means that there's some health there. Then there are other households where the children have become predators but have become transformed but are still living in the same zip code. So we recruit young adults from there who can serve as role models for the kids because they face those same challenges and have overcome these difficulties even though they're living in a drug-infested, crime-ridden neighborhood, they're no longer of that community. And so what happens is that we place them as mentors in the schools so that they walk the halls, they're in the lunchrooms, they provide safe passage, they handle the in-school detention rooms, the tardy rooms. In other words, we take young adults and put them back into the schools as a part of the school staff. As a result, young people will share with our youth advisors threats that are coming from other students because telling the youth advisors is not snitching. And so we're able to intervene in maybe a 100 disputes in one week, thus preventing it from turning into violence. We also provide safe passage to and from school. I imagine this approach takes a lot of that burden off of teachers and school administration officials so they can actually teach. Absolutely. And this is the testimony that we get. For instance, in a school without a violence-free zone, if there's a rumor that a child has a gun, usually 20 police cars are dispatched to the school. It's in the newspaper, on television, and the whole school is locked down until they find the weapon. 
By contrast, in a violence-free zone school, some student will tell a youth advisor that a child has a gun, and so the youth advisor is able to contact the police. The child is quietly extracted and arrested, and no one knows what happened. Also, in a violence-free zone schools, we can have pep rallies, dances, night football games, normal activities that any school expects to have but have been suspended over time because of the violence. But the youth advisors serve as counselors and supervisors to these extracurricular events. And so as a consequence of the violence-free zone, the school environment becomes normalized. Let's wrap things up with some inspiration. Maybe you can share a story of a youngster who has managed to emerge from these tough conditions and become a real success. Yes, we just had a, a young man who was a gang leader in the school, and he used to walk the halls and create a disturbance And when he wasn't being suspended. We recognized that this young man had leadership potential and that others were following him, only they were doing some predatory. Well, our youth advisor engaged him and formed a relationship and introduced this young man to his own talents and his better angels. As a consequence, this young man not only improved his grades but became an outstanding athlete. And instead of going to jail, he now has a full scholarship to the University of Wisconsin. He's living proof that a predator can truly be transformed to an ambassador of peace. Some of the children that are helped are not predators but have been victims. We had Dawn Hen, a young woman that testified that she was beaten up when she was at the school and she was a 4.0 student. But she had to then withdraw and go live in another state. But since her father was an alcoholic, within two months she had to come back to the same school and feared for her life. But because of the violence-free zone was now present in the school, she came back and became integrated back into the school. And she graduated with a 3.9 average and valedictorian and now has $90,000 worth of scholarships, again, attending the University of Wisconsin. So it isn't just the predators who have been transformed, but they're kids who have been victimized. But because of the violence-free zone, making the school environment safer, it creates opportunities for the good kids to become better and for some of the bad kids to become good. We're talking with Bob Woodson, founder and president of the National Center for Neighborhood Enterprise. Mr. Woodson, is there a website our listeners can visit to learn more about your organization? Yes, cneonline.org. Thank you so much for being with us today on InfoTrack. Thank you. And I'm Taryn McCall for InfoTrack. Next, working at home sounds good, but how do you avoid scams and screw-ups? The no-nonsense facts are ahead. There's more InfoTrack coming up. Stay tuned.